Hello, and welcome to Underground Chicago Talk. I'm your host, Rudolph, podcasting from the heartbeat of Chicago, the Chicago Underground Petway, where it's cool in the summer and warm in the winter. And believe me, we are in mid-December here in Chicago getting cold outside. As Lou Rawls would say, the almighty hawk. Yes, the mighty, mighty hawk. Chicago wins. So, get yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and uh, relax a bit and listen to the program with me. Today, I'm going to be talking about Jitney. Jitney cabs that operated here in Chicago. But, uh, what brought me to uh, do this show about Jitney's, I was reading uh, August Wilson's uh, play, Jitney. So, oh, you know what? It'd be interesting to uh, just share how Jitney started and get a little other history aside from it being a, a play by August Wilson. In uh, August Wilson, the setting is in Philadelphia, but Jitney's existed throughout America. Uh, at one time, with well over some 70,000 or so uh, uh, Jitney's throughout America servicing black communities. Uh, it was a means of filling a void in uh, black communities in America. These are little, these are things that happen in America. Uh, and you carve out a, a little piece of making life better. And the reason Jitney's came into existence was because cab companies, white cab companies, would not pick up black people and deliver them to, uh, where they had to go. They wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. You couldn't call. Uh, and you would think that today. In today's world, it still exists. So, very little has really changed. I mean, you know, the steps we have taken in the social structure of America is, has been very small steps. I mean, our behavior, our behavior here is still the same. It's very negative energy. Very negative. You know, it, it, it just... It's not the America I embrace. It really isn't. It's, it's not that America. So, Jitney's field of, of transportation uh, void of an experience. Because I don't personally trying to catch a cab. If I was just out there trying to catch a cab, uh, I wouldn't be able to catch one. No. Would be able to get it. I mean, it's still that, you know, it's because uh, in, in some cases it's racism, and in other cases it's just ignorance, uh, and, uh, and just dislike, uh, just just disrespect for each other. You know, I'm not going to blame it all on racism, no, because a lot of these. Uh, Cab drivers at one time, I know here in Chicago, uh, 
I've seen all kinds of, I went from the, the uh, cab drivers, when cab drivers were 99% white, to, to becoming 99% uh, foreigners, uh, other ethnic groups. And I think one of the worst for me uh, of the uh, ethnic cab drivers where you, you get into their cabs and you're trying to tell them where take a sh which way to go. And uh, boy, you, you damn near had to fight them. You know, <laughs> if you were telling them, take, don't take, don't take the uh, out of drive, take, uh, just take cost it all the way down. Don't tell me nothing about how to get there. <laughs> we had many of those situations happen here at the city. So, so, so when you did get one, you had to fight almost to get to where you had to go, or they were afraid to pick you up uh, because you were uh, black. Uh, they were afraid of robbery. So it's just a mixed bag there. So here comes, here, here we go. Uh, uh, and that's how Uber's came about. Uber came about because of the lack of transportation across the city or the lousy transportation across the city. The things you had to put up with, uh, the danger of getting into a cab and so forth, robbery and so forth, just a thousand and one things. So out of all of that, Uber developed, which is an old take on Jitney cabs, you know, that's where it, where it comes from. It's nothing new. Uber is nothing new. It's just an old concept that uh, uh, due to technology and apps, we could broaden that and uh, it blew up as a result of, which filled the void that was there uh, as in transportation. And that's not only in the black community, but in rural areas even. Uh, it just filled a void, making transportation more accessible to people who have transportation problems. We still have that problem right here in Chicago. You can leave Chicago. Once the uh, uh, CTA runs out, uh, you get in certain areas. Uh, they don't, they have bus service every hour or two hours, which is lousy. In today's world, come on, please. <laughs> so that's where uh, Uber really fills a void at, in those types of situations, uh, aside from uh, servicing the black community in a much broader sense. It fills a void, uh, transportation void in these rural areas as well. So transportation, uh, share ride culture is still evolving because uh, we have what, uh, aside from Uber, we have Lyft, we have rent, rent a bike, scooters. I've even seen people skating to work on nice days. You know, uh, I've seen them on skateboards. So there are many, many different forms of transportation today. A wide variety of transportation uh, means of getting to where you got to go. 
outside of just using the public transportation system because the public transportation system is so dangerous today and unreliable really uh, even though they have a bus schedule they, they, they don't stick to that schedule I'm waiting on a bus and I I can wait on the the 72 at North Avenue and, and and I'll see three of them behind each other. What happened here? <laughs> I mean, what happened? That's part of it. They never... We just don't have any consistency going on in transportation. No, 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 no. None whatsoever. Even with Uber now, uh, having developed there's no real consistency in it because Uber has changed up whereas in different zones and different communities uh, different prices so it's not out just to service uh, they really redefine what it is they were doing in providing transportation that's why you've got all these other uh, systems popping up because they see a uh, 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 there's a loophole in it where they can make some money. You know, uh, I saw the other day, I can't think of the name of it, but it's the women uh, ride share service, all women drivers. So they found a little niche there, you know. Uh, but Jimmy itself means, uh, it is a word that derives from a Louisiana Creole. French word, Jeanette, and that's uh, spelled J-E-T-N-E-E, uh, and Jeanette means for five cents or a nickel, which was the first fares that were charged with Jeanette uh, back in 1900s. Oh yeah, we're a long way from that now, but uh, Jitneys emerged in the, the 1900s when personal car ownership uh, increased due to Ford Motors' uh, uh, mass production. Uh, yes, became very popular. And the individuals wanted to earn some extra money. People, people were willing to really work for whatever it was they were after then. But just in always, I mean, all, all, all of everybody back then was not uh, driving an Uber. They were working for Capone and delivering uh, goods and so forth. I mean, the same cruelty that's going on in the world today was going on back then. You know, same type of segregation. The world never seemed to really change. It doesn't. Just seem to be a period where we find a little, little, a little bit more cooperation among each other. But as humans, our behavior pretty much remains the same. Really does. What did we learn out of a, a war with Japan and a war with Germany? What did the world learn? The world learned to be more aggressive. It didn't get any real better. Uh, the behavior didn't change toward the, the human being. No. With all this technology, you would think we would be the happiest creatures on earth, human, but we're not. We're the saddest, 
creatures on earth. You know? So we've got a long way to go. Long way to go. Yes. You know, by uh, the uh, by the 20, uh, the 1920s, Jitneys and the 1920s was a, a, a turning period in America, uh, in the world. Here again, uh, the world was changing, behavior-wise. People were seeking uh, change, and it was met with all the resistance that could be brought upon it. I live to see this take place even here in America. Uh, the uh, hippie movement. Love, not war, and system itself <coughs> worked hard at changing in the direction of love. The love, talking love, was love and peace became the enemy to uh, society. Now here we are embracing uh, fascism here, right here in America. Oh, it's horrible. But what I find amazing is that people seem to be more willing to embrace fascism and acceptance of that into our system than they were of, uh, of uh, love, uh, the concept of uh, love, peace and love for our children. Either way, I'm disappointed. And it's my disappointment. Because we're a long way from Jitney's. And I'm disappointed at uh, the world I see today. It's not the world I had envisioned in my head. Uh, and the type of work, what I was trying to do. You know, I toured around, I developed a... Uh, theatrical company and the purpose uh, one of his purposes to perform in schools uh, back in the 70s when I founded it with a friend of mine by the name of Sanders Wilson uh, we founded it to address uh, reading in the black community because we saw that black kids would, for whatever reason, uh, had a very negative attitude towards reading. Very negative. And uh, my hopes were that uh, I could inspire them to read more. Read the classics like Treasure Island, Robin Hood, Peter Pan, Aladdin. I just figured Hey, I enjoyed them so that I thought that this would inspire that they would love to uh, uh, read them, read those classics. So I uh, uh, put together a production of Treasure Island. And during that time, believe me, and I still hold the record for being the first African-American to play uh, Long John Silver at the uh, Edinburgh Festival. Yes, I still hold that honor. But 
back to uh, the reading thing. Here we are, 50 years later, the very issue we were addressing 50 years ago, reading, reading is still on the table. You know, the things stay on this table. They don't seem to disappear. 50 years later, the first child who saw my production 50 years ago, and he was 10 years old, he's 60 now, and these issues are still on the table. And if he was, if he was 13 or 15, he's 65 years old. He's old himself. 50 years later. He's had to wrestle with that very, he or she, with their children. Being unable to read, getting a bad education. Come on, we must do better. We've got to do better. But instead, here we are going into 2024. Are we looking at a better world? No, it's very gloomy. We got wars going on. We got people being killed, women and children. We got schools closing down. We've got uh, uh, anti-Semitic uh, uprisings on college campuses. We've got all kinds of crazy things going on. I don't see a better world in 2023. We got a former president running to, to uh, reestablish himself as the president, even calling himself a dictator, that he's going to be a dictator for one day. Oh, please, come on. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. Here in Chicago, our mayor can't even, uh, they won't even let him build a uh, tent city to house the immigrants who are coming to the city seeking uh, asylum. You know, when they come now, you go straight to the police station, turn yourself in. Hey, I'm seeking asylum. I'm not sneaking in. That's that's how they're doing it. They're just, they're coming in on asylum. No. So, here we are. But, you know, these are problems we can solve. We can solve these problems. We can, but do we have the courage to do it? I say no, we don't. Because we're going right into 2024 with all the same problems unsolved and intensified. Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I see gloom and doom. But I know one thing, as Jesse Jackson used to often say, keep hope alive. We have to keep hope alive. Because once hope, if we lose hope, then all is lost. All is lost. Hope is, you know, when you're knocked down and you just, you're down and out. It's coup de gras. But you still have hope. Hope. And somehow, Hope survive. 
But you know, I believe that uh, hope will succeed once again. So we have to keep hope alive. Yes, keep hope alive. So, I know I got off of uh, Jitney, but that's where it led me to. I'm finding now that if I just, you know, I have so much to say and so much uh, that I want to share with my listeners that uh, I, I'm doing a much looser show nowadays because uh, I'm letting the thoughts of the day guide me as opposed to uh, just trying to be, stick to the uh, script of what it was or whatever it, the subject matter was. I'm now beginning to let the spirit of the show lead me. So stick with me. You know, hopefully in sharing this, it will get you to start sharing with your own. You know, I shared because, like I said, hey, I've got a birthday coming up. I'm an old man. Uh, I'd rather tell the stories now because there would be a time when I can't even remember. I know, it'd be a time when I won't remember it or it'd be hard pulling them up. So I'm enjoying uh, and learning to just share now the stories because I never thought I would even be the storyteller, to be honest. No. But here I am. I'm the old war vet. I'm the storyteller. I've evolved into being a storyteller. And that's such an honor because I'm still here. You know, it's like I was thinking the other day, my dear friend, I was thinking about my dear friend, Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson and I uh, grew up together. Uh, went to high, went to elementary school and high school, and into the Marines together in Vietnam. And Pat passed on some years back. Uh, but I was thinking of a brother, and uh, and wanted to salute, salute my fellow Marine in remembrance of the uh, brother. Uh, then my brother Willie. <laughs> He's passed on. He served in Vietnam. Really wouldn't roll. Um, Major Coleman. George Armstrong. Uh, Raymond Wallace. William Watson. John Smith. Harry Hilliard, Jesse Brown, uh, Resendus, William People. You know, there are Ellsworth. For some odd reason, I don't know, I guess it comes with age. Uh, a lot of, of uh, we're just having a tremendous amount of recall, thinking about various people, uh, people who whom I work with, served with in some capacity or another in my lifetime. Uh, it's been an exciting life. Uh, I started out in uh, 63 as a 17-year-old 
uh, Marine of uh, wanting to serve my country, wanting to make a difference, wanting to do my part as a young person in 1963 because I saw what others were doing. I was inspired by the young black college kids like John Lewis. Uh, they were out there doing what they were doing. And then it, within that, I knew that there was something I could do. And that's why at that point in time, I myself joined the Marine Corps to do what I could do. And in doing so, I found uh, a whole new world, a whole new world. I'd never been to California. Here I am now in California. I'm in Mexico. Matter of fact, Mexico is the first uh, uh, out of the country trip I ever made was going to Tijuana, Mexico, because I was a Marine stationed there in San Diego. It was just a matter of crossing the border. Yep. Because then, you, in 63, you couldn't drink in America as a teenager. So we had to go to Mexico to do our drinking. Uh, you know, and, uh, the laws were more lenient. For me, it was a whole new world. And I thought the world would be so much better as a result of the new world that I saw, the world that I was being a part of and working to make it a better world. That I was willing to serve, to spread the development democracy that's why I was serving I believed in democracy I believe that I was serving to spread democracy and defend democracy because we were doing both defending and serving uh, to spread the word uh, to spread democracy when I was in Vietnam I was there based on that I was fighting to, to uh, spread democracy. And we did accomplish that. Funny, we accomplished it there and failed here. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We accomplished it there but failed here. Because right now, we're fighting to hold on to democracy here in America. Fighting to hold on. You know, we have got to face some real truths here in America at this point in time about ourselves as being Americans. We're either all going to be Americans Oh, we are all going to take on an adversarial attitude. But I think in order to save democracy, to save America, we all must become 
in our own mental state, behavior, Americans, and define what is an American today. That's the part that we don't really have a grasp on from what I see. What is an American today? What's being American? We've got to have something that defines what's being American. It can't be waving a flag because I've seen American flags mixed in with people waving American flags, carrying uh, all kinds of other uh, derogatory uh, flags, Confederate flags, the flag of the snake, and uh, just a thousand different things. I mean, come on, what is America? Well, we've got to define that. We have one flag or two flags, three or four flags. How many flags do we have? Come on. This is serious going forward, folks. And 2024 is it. We're very serious things that we must discuss and come to grips with as Americans. So what is an American? What is an American? What are we fighting for? What are we willing to take a stand for? What are we calling democracy? Surely it's not about uh, one vote, one man, one vote. That, that's not what we're about here in America now. We still have the Electoral College, which is unfair. That's not one man, one vote. That's representative. Uh, we have representative uh uh, uh, representation, representative democracy, but come on, we're being robbed of one man, one vote, because we're putting it in the hands of an electoral college, so if only 50,000 people went out and voted, it wouldn't make a difference. So, we got to really define what it is, what is America, and what is democracy, and what is fascism. Which one do we want, folks? Democracy or authoritarianism? Think about it. And Happy New Year. <laughs>